It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Former President Donald Trump is expected to make a major announcement at his Mar-a-Lago residence in Florida. Many speculating this will be the start of another presidential campaign. But his former vice president, Mike Pence, also making headlines with the release of his new book, sharing new details from inside the Trump administration, as well as the events of January 6th. And I think that created a rapport between us of trust and genuine friendship. It's part of what uh, made what happened at the end uh, so difficult. I knew what my duty was under the Constitution of the United States. I, I made that clear many times over. Uh, to the president, but he had he had legal advisors around him that were telling him something different. Meanwhile, newly elected members of Congress are on Capitol Hill as some elections still remain undecided and leadership questions still remain for a potential speaker, Kevin McCarthy. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel. Senior political correspondent at Axios, Josh Kraschauer, Republican strategist, former campaign manager for Senator Scott Brown, Colin Reed, and former Tennessee Congressman, co-host of The Five, Harold Ford Jr. Josh, uh, as we wait on these final races to come in, uh, many of them in Cal- California, which takes an unbelievable amount of time to count those v- ballots, uh, it looks like Republicans are going to gain control, but just slightly, maybe even 219. 218 is the magic number. The uh, leader, minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, has been nominated to be speaker Um, but does not have anywhere near the 218 votes that he'll need in January. So he's got work to do. He does have work to do. And there are a lot of disappointed uh, House Republicans who expected a legitimate red wave, expected Kevin McCarthy to win with many more seats than what he ultimately is going to get. But the challenge facing those Republican dissidents, and they're mostly coming from, from, from the right, they're mostly coming from the Freedom Caucus, is who is the alternative? Who who else will be able to get those 218 votes? So, look, uh, Andy Biggs challenged uh, Congressman McCarthy within the Republican caucus and has a, a little over a couple dozen Republican supporters. It was a comfortable win for McCarthy, but you know, ultimately, the challenge is there really isn't a viable alternative uh, to, to McCarthy. And uh, in the end, Republicans are going to have to. I, I think there's going to be a pragmatic streak that's necessary when when the vote actually comes to the floor in January. So, look, it'll be a a good first early test of the Republican Party leadership of whether Republicans can stick together and actually have some type of governing majority behind Kevin McCarthy in the House. And, you know, Colin, the top three Republicans next Congress, according to this vote on nominations, will be McCarthy, Scalise and Tom Emmer, 
who chaired the House GOP campaign this this cycle, um, and he won a race to be GOP whip, beating Jim Banks, 115 to 106, which was kind of a surprise, considering the fact that um, it was a pretty lackluster performance if you look at the big picture for Republicans. As the old saying goes, and as Josh just alluded to, you can't beat someone with no one. And until there is that viable, alternative, acceptable uh, choice, then those folks remain in the driver's seat. Uh, we're, we're old old enough on this call to remember 2015, the last time there was a real contested uh, battle for the House Republican leadership. Uh, nobody really saw Paul Ryan, uh, in, in, including Paul Ryan, because he repeatedly ruled it out that he wasn't interested until the last possible moment. So never, never uh, bet against uh, anything surprising happening, especially given the narrowness of the of the majority. And it's certainly going to make whoever emerges as a speaker. And I think it's likely right now that it, it is Kevin McCarthy, but anything could happen. Whoever gets that gavel is going to then have the uh, unfortunate and uh, unpleasant job of, of governing. And it's going to be much different than anyone imagined a week ago with a far slimmer majority. And hopefully uh, this whatever this House Repu- incoming House Republican majority can do uh, can put a check on the Biden administration and help lay the groundwork and add to the Republican messaging going into 2024, not just become a distraction and entangle the Biden administration in a way that's disadvantageous uh, to our ultimate nominee. Arguably, Harold, that the focus on the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, in the final days, and that really was what the threat to democracy was wrapped in, um, the focus on him possibly announcing even during the end of the campaign and abortion also factored in a lot of these races, the close ones. Now, as he's preparing to get into this race, are Democrats now licking their chops that Donald Trump is again the focus as they head into 2024? Well, I don't know if they're licking their chops, but it it, it, it's, it certainly points to everything that's been said. That, and I, I mean, you think about the disrepair and disarray of the Republican Party. I think the two things, one, kind of joking, but have serious. You think about California as the home of such innovation. Uh, they're the ones that have designed the technology, produced the technology, and now are assembling driverless cars. But they can't count votes. I mean, I'm not sure how much confidence I have in their ability to, to, to build out autonomous vehicles if they can't figure mm-hmm. out within two weeks after an election to do that. Two, it's better for the body politic and even for Democrats for a Republican for the Republican Party to be strong and vibrant. Naturally, I'd love for my party to be stronger, but it, it doesn't serve anybody uh, when there's a lack of seriousness or a dearth of seriousness in, in in either party to the extent that one side has a has a bigger advantage. You think about the numbers in this race, the polling data we saw, the wrong track, right track numbers. Democrats should not have fared like they did. Something else was happening. And I think you touched on two or three of the issues, two or three of the reasons uh, they're bred in, in your question. I saw Josh Hawley uh, maybe today or yesterday make a comment about how the Republican Party is speaking to a lot of what we're talking about here. The, the party is in disarray uh, and they may need to push the reset button uh, for the party to for the party to, to reestablish itself and to reassert itself. I don't know if I would go that far, but what I, what, I, what I would say is that I don't think what the Republican Party needs right now is an announcement for a third presidential run uh, from, from President Trump. He has every right to run, but I think as you look at where, where, the, where the, the body politic is and more importantly where the Republican Party is uh, for, for, for this conversation, that's not what I think people are clamoring for. And I don't think that's, the, that, that's what's going to heal the party and heal our body politic, which will allow us to, I think, address 
you know, and advance some of the strategic objectives we need to do as a country. And energy security is right at the top of that list uh, as we think about those things. Josh, as you look at the results, though, from the midterm, uh, the election deniers were defeated. I mean, across the board, Uh, most recently, Carrie Lake in Arizona, who campaigned very fervently on the 2020 election being stolen. She campaigned alongside Steve Bannon and Kelly Ward from Arizona, all who were big 2020 election was stolen people uh, in a lawsuit filed by the Trump attorneys to get him back on Twitter. Uh, the lawyers liken Trump to Italian astronomer Galileo, who they say was persecuted by the Catholic Church for promulgating the belief that the Earth revolved around the sun. Quote, most people once believed these to be crackpot ideas. Many still do. But crackpot ideas sometimes turn out to be true. The Earth does revolve around the sun, and it was Hunter Biden, not Russian disinformation agents, who dropped off a laptop full of incriminating evidence at a repair shop in Delaware. Goes on to say that Galileo spent his remaining days under house arrest for spreading heretical ideas, and thousands of dissidents today are arrested or killed by despotic governments eager to suppress ideas they disapprove of, but this is not the American way. Now, if the former president is running as Galileo, that's going to be quite a run. Yeah, Brad, that's the first uh, Trump-Galileo comparison I've, I've heard. But look, the, the election results are, are, are the facts. That, that, that is the reality that, that everyone has to face as they look ahead to 2024. And look, I, I think Trump was expecting to make an announcement in the wake of a very big Republican success story, that Republicans would take the Senate the House, and it would be a large majority in the House, and, and Trump would be filling in this vacuum that would play to his advantage. I'm a little surprised that if he does, you know, go forward with an announcement, he's he's entering a vacuum where a lot of rumbling within Republican Party circles is going on. And he's not going to have anyone to go after. You know, Governor DeSantis may end up running or not. Governor Youngkin may end up running. Mike Pence may end up running. But no one's in the arena right now. So he's the only, if he does announce and he's the only candidate He's going to be dealing with a lot of frustrated supporters, a lot of frustrated Republicans wondering why the reality of what happened in the midterm elections didn't play to the Republican Party's benefit. And he's going to get a lot of the blame. Uh, so this is an interesting moment where, you know, I, I don't think he's been at a weaker political point, the former president, since 2016, where, where some new polls have shown that he, he has lost support from even some some former very, very uh, core supporters. Uh, so it's an interesting moment. We're at sort of a tipping point within the Republican Party, but Trump has always liked to fashion himself as a winner. That's been his brand ever since he went down the escalator at Mar-a-Lago. And for the first time in many years, a lot of even his devoted supporters are wondering whether he, he's the kind of Republican who can keep winning going forward. Colin, uh, on the other side, on the Senate side, uh, Senator Rick Scott from Florida has announced he is challenging Mitch McConnell for the leadership in the Senate, which will be a minority uh, leader position. Uh, at the same time, McConnell's uh, Senate Leadership Fund PAC just announced a $14 million spend in the Georgia runoff. Uh, that would be to get to 50-50, which would be status quo where we were heading into the election. It is important, though, uh, because at 50-50, all of the uh, committees have the same number of Republicans and Democrats. And uh, the committees don't have subpoena power without the minority sign-off, which makes a difference in investigations that generate from the Senate. 
So it's not lost on people also that at 50-50 you could conceivably convince somebody like a Joe Manchin or a Kirsten Cinema that maybe they should be an independent and not caucus with the Democrats and then thereby change the leadership. That's just the what's at stake at the runoff. Um, but what about the leadership challenge to uh, McConnell from Rick Scott, Colin? Well, it's clear those guys uh, haven't really cared for one another uh, throughout the course of the cycle and the decisions that were made over the course of it. But look, there's a lot of wreckage coming out of last week and the 2022 elections that didn't go the way any Republican, if they're being honest with themselves, wanted. And as the old JFK saying goes, victory has a thousand fathers and defeats an orphan. And everyone is looking for reasons and, and people to blame. Um, you mentioned SLF. I was going through some the financial figures, Brett. I noticed that um, Mitch McConnell's SLF organization spent up to 95% of the money they raised uh, in those competitive Senate races. Uh, the same can't be said for the former President Trump, who spent closer, I believe, 10 or 11, 12% of the money they raised. And in these political uh, elections, uh, money talks and BS walks. And Senator McConnell has led that caucus for a long time for a reason. He's got the respect of, of most of his colleagues. And I, I believe he feels confident in his standing uh, atop that caucus, particularly because a lot of the insurgent type candidates who uh, Rick Scott would need to topple someone like Mitch McConnell lost last week. So we have a lot to learn from last week's election. We let it we let it become a choice between uh, two between the past and the future when it should have been a referendum on the Biden administration. And as we look ahead going forward, we shouldn't face a choice. There's the incumbent president is an 80 year old guy with a 40 percent approval rating. And Republicans need to learn that we can do better than a soon to be 78 year old who's been impeached two times and that those shouldn't be the stakes uh, for the Republican Party going forward. And it's up to the party to sort that out as the primary kicks off underway. You know, Harold, it's interesting on the Rick Scott challenge. Um, you know, there were some Republicans who were not happy with Rick Scott as he put out a plan that included uh, dialing back Medicare and Social Security in the big picture uh, for uh, savings down the road, and it was a bullet point. It wasn't a, explained very well in the pamphlet of his plan, but it wasn't what the Republicans were ready to run on, yet Democrats brought it to the fore in a number of races and kind of hammered Republicans over the head with it. Uh, McConnell did spend a lot of money around the country, he rescued J.D. Vance in Ohio when he didn't have any funding, uh, but he pulled money from Don Bolduck in New Hampshire and Blake Masters saying to those folks, uh, those were not the candidates that were worth spending on. So it is controversial, but uh, Rick Scott's bringing this challenge. No, no, Brett, I mean, you, you, you laid out the the, uh, you know, the the moniker for why he's being challenged. And I think you laid out how he being uh, McConnell and this was this was setting up right when Rick Scott released his plan for what the future would look like if the Republicans gained the majority. And shortly thereafter, McConnell never embraced that. I think it was called Renew, Renew America or something like that. Or the, I can't remember if that was called Commitment or Renew. I knew the House had one also. McCarthy's was but, Commitment, yeah. So, so when you put these documents out, you have to defend them. And McConnell had a hard time defending, had a hard time defending those documents. And as a result, or that document, as a result, you know, they're, they're where they are. If you'd have told me two weeks ago that this would be where the conversation we'd be having about the, the Republican Party having a, having to take a look at itself in the mirror and figure out whom it wants to be, whom whom the leaders of the party will be, and what they would stand for, I'd have taken a big bet probably against that. 
Um, so I say to my party, who is who's watching this and your first question, sort of pretend that whether or not this is something Democrats are happy about. You know, we shouldn't view this as some sort of ratification of all the things that 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 have gone on over the last two years, uh, nor should we be taking a victory lap. We lost the House, likely, and we could have a 50 50 Senate. And to your point about Joe Manchin and others, I mean, uh, you never know what Senator Manchin may or may not do or Senator Sinema, for that matter, others. So and this the Cole argument back and forth with his party and, was, was, was with no question. Uh, and then, ugly and he just recently. Totally. Then he recently got a, an announced opponent for his 2024 election, a, a sitting member of Congress. So, you know, the, the dynamics are, are serious on both sides. But the Republicans, I, I hope if McConnell, uh, this will be one of the first times we've actually seen McConnell campaign for his job in the Senate. At least in, my, in, my, in my time in politics, I don't recall. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he had early on, he had, had had to battle his way up. But in in recent years, in recent cycles, he's never really had to go to the floor and explain to the country, which we would probably carry some of this stuff, why he believes uh, he should be the leader of the Republican Party. And in many ways, the Scott McConnell fight could very well look could be the scrimmage or the proxy for what could happen if there's a DeSantis Trump fight uh, uh, down the line. So. Again, everybody I th- hope, hopefully takes a deep breath in all this and realize that this week, this election just ended a week ago. And it's probably a good thing for the Republicans to have this fight now if they want to find themselves viable and credible and, and thought of in a serious way by the voters, you know, a year from now. All right. We're going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back after this. Yeah. And meantime, as all of this politics is stirring around, we're waiting to see if the former president gets in. By the way, is there any chance, Josh, that he doesn't tonight? From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You know, I, I, I always think there's always some surprise in, in Donald Trump. So so everything I'm hearing is that he is going to be jumping in. But, um, you know, like he could throw us a curveball uh, and, uh We'll have, to, we'll have to wait and see, but uh, this is a you know this is a moment where the Republican Party needs to figure out its its future direction, and Trump certainly can can make the argument for what what he sees the best way going forward is. But uh, look, it's a t- it's a tough political moment, and he's not going to have any other Republicans to throw punches at right now. Yeah. Meantime, overseas, uh, you know, we're getting word that it looks like two missiles landed in Poland, uh, and that they may have been Russian missiles. Uh, striking a village just on the other side of the Ukrainian border in Poland, which is a NATO member. It is causing all kinds of alarmed bells. Now there's some thought that it might be a Ukrainian defense missile that took out a Russian missile. They launched 90 missiles on different cities in Ukraine today after that takeover of Kherson uh, by the Ukrainians. And this is a retaliation by the Russians. But the fact that we're even talking about the possibility of two people being killed on the other side in Poland uh, is a totally different uh, calculation when you talk about Article 5, Colin, and countries coming to the aid. One country is attacked. They're all attacked. President Biden has used that before. uh, So it'll be interesting to see what exactly happens from this incident. And certainly it comes at a moment where the news has been overwhelmingly positive coming out of Ukraine Uh, from the the Kherson news yesterday that the Ukrainians had taken back the city to the seemingly uh, ever ongoing retreat of the Russian army. So it's it's been that the the news has been good so far in, in, in recent weeks. 
And it's, it's, it's interesting, Brett, down the home stretch, foreign affairs largely, if almost completely, faded from the political uh, discourse. And it's not as though there was a lack of events bef- before Ukraine, Russia. There was the, the Afghanistan situation in the summer of 2021 that many Republicans uh, were, were talking about early on in the campaign. And of course, foreign affairs is, is an area where President Biden has always viewed himself as some sort of subject matter expert from all his time on the his decades on the Senate Foreign Relations uh, Committee. But then by the end, foreign affairs was was gone from the, the conversation. But I did want to touch on one thing Harold said, because I think he hit a really important point, which is the elections. If there is a silver lining for the Republican Party coming out of last week, it's that couple things. One, Joe Biden seems more convinced than ever that he's going to run again. And two, he's more determined than ever not to change course. In, fr- in fact, he said at his his weekly press conference, he's going to do nothing differently. And th- the Democrats would be a mistake and would be remiss if they took last week's results as a um, referendum uh, or as a mandate more than a referendum, because voters might not have liked what the Republican Party was selling, but they sure didn't like what the Democrats were either. So it's it would be a mistake for the Democrats to continue to double down on the policies of the last couple of years. And if they do that, that's good news and that's good political news for the, the, the Republican nominee uh, once he or she is able to get through a primary and go head to head with Joe Biden or whoever the Democrats nominate. Yeah, that's interesting, Colin. And, hey, and Harold, Harold, I want to get to you on that. And that is, you know, in the wake of this midterm, it seemed to at least how President Biden took it and how Vice President Harris took it was emboldening them. And ahead of the election, there were a lot of Democrats openly who were saying President Biden should not run for reelection. There were private whispers at first, and then there were open uh, sound bites from from lawmakers saying he should not. Uh, it seems like now they're on a track too. Yeah, look, I, I, I appreciate all the advice of the Democrats, and, and I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a big believer. I mean, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, you, you look at the scoreboard. We can we won we won the game, and we're gonna go back and look at the film and figure out what we should do better. And probably a few guys on the field were exclaimed too much that night, including our quarterback and head coach, which is which is the president. He'll have to sort through a lot of things, but I, I like his sorting through more so than I like McCollum and McCarthy's this, this afternoon. But having said all that, I think I think the real silver lining for me, Colin, for I think the body politic is you guys got to get better um, because if, if you're not better, we can win with a crappy hand. And you know who loses when we win with a crappy hand or vice versa. If you guys are bad and we're worse and you win with a crappy hand, the country loses. So what my only point is crime remains an issue. Border security remains an issue. Immigration remains an issue. Energy security remains an issue. Inflation remains an issue. Foreign policy is always rears its head at the most unexpected and unusual of times and very harsh. And frankly, I don't believe there's a question we face on Ukraine much like what we're having to deal with now if these reports are true, if Brett's reporting and what he described in the call is, 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 is actually true. My only point to Democrats is we got to fix these problems. And it's easier to fix problems in politics when you have a credible partner on the other side, even if the partner is an adversary every two or four years. And right now, you guys aren't great partners. So, I mean, I hope, don't get me wrong, I, I don't want my party to overread it, but I hope you guys read the results and understand what the country was telling you the other night, too. Because, if you, again, yeah. if you told me two weeks ago I'd be happier about the outcome than you guys, I probably would have taken a bet against that. Yeah. But the only thing is, Harold, you can't look at this. Obviously, you beat expectations, but you didn't win the game. You're going to lose the House. You're going to lose seats. And you may pick up one in the Senate or you may be exactly where you were going in. That's a win from expectations standpoint. But in the big picture, you're losing control of the House. 
We covered the spread. And when you put a bet, you cover the spread. Your team may <laughs> yeah. lose, but you, you, you get paid you. at the end of the day. And my, my only point you. is, we have, we have. I, I don't disagree with any of that. I don't disagree with it. But I, the only thing I was uh, just, I was quarreling with with Kyle a little bit is that looking at the the, the, the terrain and saying the Democrats are going to have an 80 year old guy running and their policy, they're going to pursue the same things. They think we have a chance. I don't think that's that's not how I would be looking at it. I'd be looking at it. Who are we as a party? I mean, that's that's the r- bigger point I make. There's no doubt we lost the House. So this is this is a, this is an even night. and We beat expectations without question. I would not have said what I'm not defending what President Biden or Vice President Harris said after the race. when they said they wouldn't change their ways. I think you have to look at every race, even if we had won the other night. I still don't think you you go down the same path. I, I think I can't remember if it's Josh or Colin said it best. Our elections are about the future and the, you, you win elections trying to make the future better, not litigating or relitigating the past. And I think that goes for both parties. And I, I hope that, you know, the Democrats that are coming into the Senate and, the, and I hope that Joe Manchin continues to be the, the, the guy that he's been over the last two years uh, calling balls and strikes uh, and calling other things that should be called what it should be called, trying to make the country better. And I hope I hope he finds Republican partners like Mitt Romney and others who are wanting to help him do that. But right now we have a scrimmage going on in the Senate between McConnell and Rick Scott, if the reports are to be believed. And it doesn't look like Kevin McCarthy has he's 30 votes shy of what he needs to get on the House floor to be the speaker. So we'll see. Yeah, no, it's going to be a bumpy ride. And meantime, 2024 is is already beginning. And we forget that there is a lame duck session before the new Congress gets in. They may do a few things. They have um, a vote, Josh, on same-sex marriage bill, a gay marriage bill. They've got um, the changes to the election law that deal with the Vice President Pence um, situation about uh, certifying elections. They've got funding for the government that they need to come up with. But um, lame duck congresses usually don't get a lot done, but they could get something. They usually don't get a lot done, but it's that government funding that I think is, is pretty important because there's a lot of worry that in, in in a divided Congress with Republicans holding only a narrow majority, there, there's a question of whether, you know, what could, what could get passed and how much gridlock there will be. So there is a little bit of momentum, at least, trying, trying to get some stuff done in the lame duck session to avoid some some stickier problems taking place in the next year. Yeah. And just to circle back on the reporting, the uh, Polish reporters are now saying that uh, Polish services say what hit this small village on the other side of the Ukrainian border is most likely the remains of a rocket shot down by the armed forces of Ukraine as Russia was launching all kinds of missiles inside Ukraine uh, today. So we may be on a uh, alert for Article 5 ahead of uh, what exactly the information is, but just goes to show you how tense the situation is uh, every day with all of that. Thank you, panel. Now for a bit of history. November 15th, 1920, a General Assembly of the League of Nations met for the first time in Geneva, Switzerland. The League was formed after the First World War and was aimed at preventing another global mass conflict. However, due to the League's inability to enforce its international rules, it ultimately proved incapable of preventing aggression by the Axis powers in the 1930s. The League was weakened by the fact that the United States never joined, while Japan, Italy, Germany, and Spain all quit. That will do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Colin, Harold, and Josh, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.
Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.